This is Paul Daly here with my lovely wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the sixth episode of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, this one called Mrs. X at the Gaslight. Sounds better when I say it. The nerds are kind of Mrs. X at the Gaslight. That's how they would say it. <laughs> I say it with a, with a nice you know, baritone. So it's it's much cooler that way. That's all I ever say about you is how you have a cooler voice than the rest of the nerds. It's true. She's always giving me great, you know, elevation over nerd status. Heck yeah. All right. So let's get to it. Let's talk about Abe, Dad Abe. If you guys remember, Midge's dad was a, is a professor and he gets approached by Bell Labs. This is a very charming little piece of this entire story because this is how you flesh out side characters to make them somewhat three-dimensional. Now we know that he has been pining for Bell Labs in an almost obsessive way. The whole idea that the kids were like little and they would like play outside Bell Labs just so he could peek in the windows. Good Lord. This is some long time love. He plays super hard to get. I you loved know, it when he was like, oh, well, I'm kind of busy. I don't know if I can do it. I have so much to grade and <laughs> you know, everything that everything that the recruiter would pitch, he would he would just hit it right back with some some sort of softball type denial, you know, like, well, you know, maybe. And it was just he was like playing on like a what playing like a fiddle? Is that the phrase? Oh yeah. I mean yeah. he was he he did with such an awesome straight face. But turns out when he gets home, he is like so excited. He's like dying, just dying. He's he's almost doing the George Jefferson dance oh my God. in excitement. He's so excited. And they're gonna have a big family dinner to celebrate. And this is when we get to meet brother Noah. Noah. And his wife, Astrid. They are a pair. Um Astrid is such a piece of work. Astrid, she's not Jewish. Correct. Or wasn't before not, they got not, married. Not ethnically Jewish. Right. But she has adopted the faith purely as a way to try to fit into the family. Yes. I think it was pretty cool when later on when Noah is saying basically that he has no more need to go back to Israel. <laughs> They've been there like 11 <laughs> times and she's like, you know, brings back these like apparently ridiculous, ridiculous souvenirs for them. And I, I mean, the whole thing, she was just wanted so badly to fit the mold. And, you know, she just <laughs> overkill is an understatement. Do you know what a mezuzah is? I don't know what it is. Do you? I assume it is some kind of uh, religious artifact or something Hold that up. apparently comes in sizes that include good taste and bad taste. And she brought one home that was in the bad taste category. Well, and so it, well, Mezuza says that it comprises a piece of parchment contained in a decorative case and inscribed with, with a specific Hebrew verse from the Torah. And so, yeah, I guess you can... You would like it. hang it on the wall kind of thing. It says, actually, some interpret Jewish law to require a mezuzah in every doorway of your home, except the bathroom. So it's. I think it's supposed to be, you know, I'm going to say tasteful in size. And the ones that she gave them were like as big as an arm. So it was, <laughs> Rose. It was outrageous. Oh, 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 always gracious Rose, you know. <laughs> 
the uh, smells funny when she gets the lipstick last right. week. This week she was like, it certainly is big or you know, <laughs> something like that. Well, and not only that, but also Astrid apparently is, tries to cook, you know, Jewish dishes for them. And they even have a code worked out of what to do with, with the food that she brings over. The housekeeper Zelda like immediately disposes of it. She's like, you know what to do with it. (laughs) "Mm -hmm." So, yeah, I mean, obviously they, they're pretty tough in-laws, you know, to impress and Astra just tries so hard and, and, you know, she expresses her really sadness that she can't get pregnant it seems and that you know things just aren't going the way that she had hoped yeah so she's trying to make up for not being able to supply or do you see it this way or did she say it she's trying she's making up for not being able to supply them with a grandkid with at least doing all this other faith-based stuff yeah and i think it's not just grandkid but i think just baby for noah too she thinks you know in her mind and uh you know we learn quite a bit more about noah he seems like a really good guy i i enjoyed their conversation out on the fire escape i wish we had a little more of noah me too um, he's a really a nice breath of fresh air my favorite comment of his was the sort of thing that he tells Midge once they're back inside and they're looking at her her records and they're discussing comedy and Joel and stuff like that. And he tells her, you were always the funny one. And that's the sort of comment that brothers, sisters say to each other almost never, or husbands and wives might not say that kind of thing. But did you notice the way that Midge looked at him when he said it? Oh, it's the best thing in the world to be told that you're the funny one. Yeah, but she she gave him it wasn't like a long beat or something like that. It was just it was just she looked at him in, in this way that kind of recognized that she didn't know that he thought that about her. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was well conveyed. I agree with you. I also like Noah's like complete protective nature of her. You know, like the next guy you pick, make sure it's somebody that I can I can punch basically <laughs> so so I can defend your honor, you know? I loved all that. I just I thought that they were a really great pair. And you're right. I hope in season two we get to see a lot more of Noah and Astrid. They were a great match. Astrid takes up a lot of the screen for me. I didn't mind <laughs> but, because uh, she she like really gives voice to all those insecurities that that you know women have trying to please the in-laws trying to be the best wife and homemaker and and doing all this stuff and it seemed very over the top in so many places like so they do head out to the Chinese restaurant to go out for dinner and like you know they all say like cheers and she's like like <laughs> yells and so like it's just you know she's just very over the top and we've all been in those situations where we're, we're trying a little too hard and everything so I thought she did a great job now who else was at that restaurant yeah the funny thing is they picked this restaurant that they never go to it's out of the way and who do they find there but penny pan and joel pan (laughs) joel pan you're funny yeah how incredibly awkward to see the ex or soon to be ex over there with his mistress how awful so would you have stood your ground or would you have left with the family like they did. I think I would have wanted to get going. I don't think I could have like done anything. I, I don't think we could have celebrated, you know, how we wanted to with them right behind us. You know, I just think that it would have been like too much for everybody, not just like me as the person who haven't broken up with someone. But I mean, you know, obviously there's still a lot of anger from Abe and Rose and Noah and I mean, all of them. They're all just they can't focus on celebrating Abe's big day. But what have you left? So I could I could totally see your mom tell like your brother or somebody be like go tell him to leave (laughs) that could have happened that's a possibility you're right where we could have sent over a note that was like you need to go 
<laughs> right. There's like eight of us, two of you. Yeah. Like we call it. You're get both out. fuckwits. Yeah. Well, you you're guys ruining are ruining our dinner. You're the ones that ruin things. You know, like we didn't do anything. We just came out for dinner. You got, you're the cheater, you know? Yeah. I feel like that part has not been underscored enough. It's one thing that Joel left and now is, is up with another woman. He was actively cheating on Midge all that time. I mean, that's like extra sick. That's another piece of this period that also reminds me of, of Mad Men because there just seemed to be this, I don't know if permissive is, is descriptive enough, attitude when it came to men particularly cheating on their wives. It was almost like, well, you know, if you keep it down to a reasonable number, we can probably work things out. Yeah, if you're discreet. Right. But the whole thing is that he wasn't discreet. I mean, he left her and he, you know, now he's parading around town with her. It's just, I don't know. The whole thing just is so just upset. It makes me hate Joel that much more. So they do head back to the house and that whole home scene where they're trying to figure out what they're going to eat. And, you know, it it exposes the fact that Zelda did throw away the dinner (laughs) that Astrid had made. And they're like digging out like walnuts and cookies. There's a cover story that someone broke in, stole the dish (laughs) and then ran out without stealing anything else. (laughs) And they all went with it. And Astrid's like, do you really think? They're like, yes, of course that happened. (laughs) So funny. Oh, my God. So funny. It was, uh, you know, that whole scene when they're trying to talk back and forth with Rose and Abe and and Rose like, you know, God, I I, to see them together and everything. And she puts the walnut down and then hits it with the frying pan to like (laughs) punctuate. I mean, it was so, oh, my God, hardcore. I don't want to skip over the part that Joel and Midge actually had to have a moment outside while everyone was getting trying to kind of escape the restaurant. The first time he sees her without her ring. Which I tried so hard. I played back and played back and played back, and I could not see if he was wearing his ring. Ah, uh, that would have been... I mean, it makes no sense at all that he would be wearing his ring. Right. I mean, my going, God, going he's moved on to a whole other life. Right. But then how in the world does he act like it's a shock that she's not wearing her ring? Yeah, it was like... You're here with another woman! <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was like he was expecting to keep her on the hook, you know, just... I think that's exactly right. Like, you're still on the payroll, Midge, as the mom (laughs) of my kids, right? Right, right. And so, therefore, yeah, you should still be branded with my brand. It's it's just, it's so gross. He's so completely gross, you guys. Right. It's like uh, Aziz, he says, I want you to wear this ring so that people will know we have an arrangement. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Yeah, basically, yes. So, all right. So then what else is Midge up to in this episode? The episode actually starts with her, as she calls it, working the party circuit. We saw that she had some success entertaining large crowds last episode. She's turned it more into what she calls something like honing her material. So she takes up every invitation she can get, goes to every party, and she starts with this one at the beginning of the episode where she talks about... Manfred McLean. Now that reminds me of something that happened in Gilmore Girls. Can but I don't remember exactly what it was. So all right, the, the Manfred story is, is essentially this is a really good looking guy back from high school that that has now been in the papers for having decapitated his wife and like driven around with her head in his trunk for a while. And the punchline is that, you know, she she looks at this as like, well, he's still good looking. So if he I'm single, you're single. If he beats this, you know, then maybe they, they get good dinner or something. So the this twist on that is 
And Gilmore Girls, Emily, is harassing Lorelai that she doesn't have a boyfriend or a husband. And she mentions, Lorelai mentions that she sees a story in the paper that a girl she went to high school with has killed her husband. And Emily's retort is, well, at least she had a husband to kill. Very much in the same vein. Very much. Very yeah. much. It all is sort of the sort of the same joke in many ways. That it that it's better to have been married, no matter what that spouse did, than be single. <laughs> she also meets uh, Randall, who is a part time comedian. What did you think of Randall? Like, would he be off putting as a guy to you, or would you think it was like kind of awesome? Like how he just sort of started into that Hitler skit. Like, would he be the kind of guy who you'd be like, this guy's hysterical? Like, as soon as he started doing a bit, would you sit down and start watching, or would you be like, this guy is so weird? If we were in a day and age when people did bits at parties. Which I can't exactly wrap my brain around because I don't really get doing bits. I mean, at these parties. days it'd be like, hey, Hambone, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think so. I think it would be like that. I mean, it's one thing I felt like for Midge, where she's like telling a story the way she was, or how she's just like commenting observationally, like, why are the guys on that side? Oh, they're all admitting they don't really know as much about cars and sports as they say they do. That kind of thing. That's all sort of just like off the cuff, but an actual skit that requires like almost like improv from other people, that just seems so much more strange to me. We don't have his backstory, but maybe even though Susie later tells us working the party circuit ain't a thing, Maybe he's doing the same thing. So from the party, next morning, Midge goes to work. Did you expect Susie would be back so fast in Showtime? I figured we had to get back to that relationship pretty quickly. Although I really enjoyed the way they wove her back in by playing this like wingman for the for the mermaid ice uh, eyeshadow. That was so funny when she's like, he's like, if I don't have my mermaid ice on, my man just won't have it. Like the whole mermaid ice thing and the and the woman being like, well, if it works for you. Because <laughs> <And she, laughs> as we described, Susie is, kind of dressed and styled like a like a little boy and you know this woman is like i just feel like i just don't have any pizzazz and she's like oh i gotta have my mermaid ice it was just so freaking funny so i love the whole thing i swear i mean Susie as is equally as funny as anything that midge has done in my opinion those little bits like that i mean that was hysterical oh yeah she's very biting, very, and I mean, that was also improv type thinking. Uh, Absolutely. And like, they both just talent. went with it, you know, like yeah. her and Midge just went with it. And so Midge invites her to say like, okay, so this is what I'm doing. They, they kind of make amends from their yelling at each other earlier. And, and she's like, you know, so what I've been doing is working these parties. You know, why don't you come check it out? Which leads to this much fancier party than the first party. Well, it's one of her coworkers parents parties that she's attending ah okay yeah so that, the whole okay. crew is much older and she's excited because this gives midge an opportunity to work an older crowd different material that's right she pleads with midge that she needs somebody her age at this party and then midge is like okay i'll go and it was very surprising because i guess probably she'd been asking everybody yeah <laughs> and everyone was like 
No, no. Well, I mean, so boring, right? So Susie is just like, oh, my God, about having to go to this. But she goes, I mean, I felt like she she did a good job of giving Midge like the benefit of the doubt that this could be good. The preparatory stuff for Midge to get ready for this party really exposed how many parties she had been attending. I mean, she was She's basically. She's out of dresses. Yeah, she had like nothing. And which thing about for Midge, come on. You know that girl's got a huge wardrobe. How could this possibly be? So Rose is totally willing to let Midge wear her stuff because she's trying to like get a little in with her. You know, Rose has really been like spiraling down here. The exchange between them kind of exposes that she still has this hope for for going back to Joel, right? Yo, yeah. But Midge is basically plainly saying. You know, I'm going to do this and, and there will be men there. And, you know, she, on the unwritten part is whatever happens, happens after that. I think that Rose is OK if she's if he's she's not with Joel anymore, but she wants her with somebody. She wants her with with a man like this whole single life, like mom working person. No, no, no. But she gives her the dress and she's sad about it. But because Midge is like gone when she finds the dress, go to this party with Susie, Susie has a distaste for the party circuit thing almost right away. <laughs> but that little meetup in the elevator was pretty funny. Right. I, I, I enjoyed that little aspect of Susie because you don't realize this by someone that's so kind of cold about other people. She is also a terrific observer of people, you know? Like yeah. A lot of stuff doesn't get by her. I love you know? that whole thing. She's like, I think this one guy's having an affair with this other girl. I think it's the the daughter of the guy with cancer and all this stuff. I mean, that whole part was like so funny. So funny. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of like in 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 your mind you would think maybe somebody that can pay attention to people like that also likes them. And it works the other way for Susie. It seems like the more she knows about people, the less she likes them. I think that's probably true. It's just more evidence that people are <laughs> slime, right? Right. I agree. Well, she does not know what the hell to make of this party or how to fit in until she sees that massive seafood buffet table. And then she's like, I totally get parties. When she just pulls up a chair to the dining table, <laughs> which has been set up like a buffet with all these like display dishes that are so beautiful. And she just pulls up a chair and starts eating off of the dishes like it's her dinner plate. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like that one friend that you invite to the fancy event and they show up like in jeans or whatever. And you're like, but much worse. <laughs> oh, my much God. Worse. Yes, this is so much worse. So much worse. I was like, holy smokes. And she gets an opportunity to see another little bit act between Randall and Midge. This one I did not feel was as successful as the Hitler one. I understood the improv of it all, but, you know, I mean, so did you, what did you think of this whole like, oh, I'm looking out of this window and I see, what is that? And then you just pause and you let the other person be like, oh, I think it's that guy again. And Slipped you, on the cat, all that, that stuff. That whole thing. What yeah. did you think? Did you think it was funny? Was this like... I mean, I was impressed that they could keep going back and forth. But again, my modern sensibility would be like, you guys are in the way. <laughs> or we all don't get to talk anymore because we have to pay attention to this sad performance. Well, would you... You say sad performance. Well, they're happy. But, I mean, you're right. It's just not hysterical. I mean, it's... The people acted like it was hysterical. 
Yeah. I mean, the people, part of it I wonder if it's just this weird novelty of two people raising their voices loud enough and being like, put the spotlight on us too while we actually do like an act. But here's the other thing. I also don't feel like we attend parties where anybody would like open up the piano and just start playing and we all like sing (laughs) along and that kind of stuff. And yet that went on as well. So maybe we're just like, have such a different idea about what would have happened at a cocktail party. You know, like if you could juggle, does someone start juggling? Like if you could play the spoons, (laughs) should someone else start playing the spoons like on their leg? Like I'm kind of confused about the entertainment factor of these parties. Are you expected to bring a talent? We might only get that answer if someone alive in that part of New York in the 50s decides to listen to our podcast and give us the the scoop. I am so very curious. I, I really want to know. I really hope that we get some some feedback from one of you guys that you say like, yes, of course, you would bring your special whatever it is and exhibit your talent at the party. I mean, I am so curious. I'm going to start asking any older person that I know. Is this a thing? Is this a thing? I'm going to be that girl. So that interaction with Randall feeds into this meeting between Randall, his agent, and Midge. Now, do you think with Midge, as smart as she is, should have read that as a danger zone because she already has representation with with Susie. See, I would have thought that she would have read it as danger zone because of the Herb Smith business. That already happened. You know, she Uh, already had a meeting where she was doing something with her career and she didn't have anything to do with Susie being there. And it turned out so bad. And Susie was so pissed at her. And so to me, it seemed a little unrealistic that she wouldn't think she should say something to Susie? I mean, I don't know. What did you think? I'd forgotten the Herb thing with the last viewing, but yeah, you're right. I mean, she's smart, but maybe she's just naive on this. Yeah. Sitting sitting there talking with an agent or just when you have a Susie. About business. I just think, I, I don't even think, I don't think you even have to think about the agent. Susie's my agent, but I don't even think you have to think about that. I think you have to think, I'm not supposed to talk about business with anybody that I don't talk to Susie first. Like they already had that heading, that head butt moment about Herb. It just seems like you gotta know you don't talk business without talking to Susie. It just seems like, come on. Could she have been on a Ross and Rachel break? Had they formalized their getting back together at this point? I don't know. Just because they've been talking? That's true. That's a possibility. But see, I don't even... We're on a break. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know. Maybe, but I don't even think she put two and two together that it's like, I'm talking to another agent. You know, like, I don't even think she was exploiting said break. Mm. You know, I, I just think she just... I don't know. It's like she just didn't put it together at all. So... I don't know. It, it was it was weird. Well, it turns out that this information gets back to old Suze. Unhappy she is. What did you think of Suze's little apartment? Did it seem kind of like a hobbit hole to you? Holy smokes, it was a hobbit hole. Everything was like miniaturized. Like the Suze. countertops were low. Everything was and... tiny. Midge looked like uh, walking around a dollhouse. I don't know if these are real Kind of places. I understand that she's a smaller sure. stature. No, human. no, no. I mean, it would have been because it would have been so old, Paul. Like, right. Back right, in the day, right, you had those right. little like studio apartments where everything's like miniaturized. It's one thing to see see things adjusted for people of different needs today. 
And even that's not really addressed the way it should be. But back then, you're right. They didn't address anything for people with special needs. No. And anyway, you're saying special needs, but just Susie's just short. I mean, yes, but it's not even that. I I think it's just, I mean, it's like going back to Ireland and have the tiny doorways. Like, I think it's just, it was just of the time because it would have been a super old building that she would have lived in, you know? Either way, tiny apartment, regular size apartment, whatever. It was a huge contrast to Midge's apartment. That's the main thing. It was almost like Harry Potter's room under the stairs. It was very similar. Very similar (laughs) size-wise, too. Very similar. Right. Oh, I did think it was really important that they did suss out their relationship here and that, you know, Susie gets super pissed and lays it all out. Like, you can't be going out to agents and all this kind of stuff. And in, in other stories, I feel like that's where the story would have ended. But when Midge is like, you know what? Wait a minute. I'm going through stuff. And if you are my personal agent, then things are going to have to be personal and you have to quit pushing me away. You're going to have to hear about my husband. You're going to have to be supportive. And I appreciated that it wasn't just like Midge had to go figure that out on her own. Like they actually had to come to Jesus for both of them. Very important conversation. And Susie, I don't think, was ready to get bitten back at, you know? Oh, not at all. I think that she thought she was doing everything right and that it was really Midge who was screwing things up. And it's like, no, in reality, and this was kind of touched upon a little bit in the previous argument where Midge is like, well, you're the one that just threw me up on stage and all that kind of stuff. But this really gave it a voice, you know, to be like, no, and like, let me list it all out and what you're doing wrong. It was important, I think, moving forward because there's no way these two could be sort of like your Ross and Rachel, you know, break. It had to be spelled out. Like it, we are together. We are a couple now. We can you can't do this and you can't do that and these are our boundaries and whatnot. So, I'm glad they finally finally spelled it out. Someone somewhere broke Susie's empathy bone and Midge is trying to mend it. <laughs> I think so. I think they're good for each other in that way because yeah. it's like, you know, Susie needs to soften up a little bit, but Midge needs to harden up a little bit. You know, she needs to get a better backbone. So there was two major things that happened near the end of this episode that are huge into setting up the remainder of this season. One huge part is we have the actual signing of the paperwork with Bell Labs and Abe. And they're talking about the background checks. And it is revealed to Abe in a very, very Richard Gilmore situation where in Gilmore Girls, what happens is that Richard doesn't know that Emily started dating anyone else. And in a meeting with a colleague, the colleague says, well, I assume you're not going to be there because, of course, the guy Emily's dating will be there. Oh, yeah. And Richard's like, he has to swallow it and not respond and not react and just say, of course, I know what you're talking about. Same exact stitch with this. Abe, I love that episode because he too. shows up at the dinner and rams the other guy's car just a little bit. <laughs> and then gets- just enough to say, I've got to take Emily to the hospital. Get out of here. I've got. Yeah, you're right. But he does smash into the back of the car at the valet. So in this case, Abe has to act like he knows that Midge has been arrested and he just has to do that same thing where like sucks in his face. He accepts these words. He's listening, but he can't respond. He has to act like it was no big thing and he's not shocked for the rest of this episode. Even though he learns not only has she been arrested once, but twice. Yeah. For the remainder of this episode, the way that he just stares at her, like stares at her at dinner 
just trying to kind of like, I think, figure her out, like calculate. Yeah, me too. What in the world am I supposed to think or say or do about this girl? And I also think that he had sort of come to a resting place with like, okay, so you and Joel are not going to be together anymore, but you got a job and you're, you're doing good with the kids and everything to find out that she had been arrested twice was like, wait a minute. You know, like, I think he was really shook as the kids say about like, you know, where, where he thought she was in her world. I think he thought, okay, she was safely married and I didn't have to worry about her. Well, she's not, not married anymore, but, but I don't have to worry about her. She's doing okay. She's under my roof. I know what's going on. And you know, no way. Poor guy. But he handled it coolly. As well as one could, right? I mean, and, I mean, in a way, you might even look at it like, since he didn't, you know, take her into a room and ask her about it or ask about it at dinner or embarrass her in front of Rose or whatever, it's it's almost like a backhanded benefit of the doubt, right? Like, like no. You don't think? No. I think is I think he's so mortified that he can't even say it out loud. I think mm. that it's so so disappointing that it's like not he can't not right now at least. I I mean we don't know season 2 could totally come slamming back and in fact I bet you it will because you know I think he I think there's a lot of come up that's about to happen for Midge as the next little outro portion shows. We've been in and out of this uh, audiophile underground shop, you know, all throughout the season. And we finally get to see a transfer, I guess, a recording made of her original recording up at the, up at the, uh, the stage of the gaslight in the first episode. And you just overhear the, the, the nerds talking about it. And they decide to call it Mrs. X at the gaslight. Because all they can know is, you know, from the context of her story, that she's married. So she's a Mrs. And that's it. And I had Miss, Ms. X, like M-S, Ms. X at the gaslight. Because I think that they say, all we know is that she has an ex-husband named Joel. I think it's something like that. So any which way, it's it's definitely, um, I, I mean. I have when it you- as Mrs. online here, but. Well, see, and I had guys listening and make copies. Ms. X at the gaslight is what I wrote on multiple times. I don't know. So the main thing that I have is just that, I mean, this is the big setup for her takedown. You know, like this is it. Now, that moment that you thought you were just having privately, not unlike that arrest, is coming to light. And somebody else is going to hear about this who shouldn't hear about this. But how big will it get? Will it be uh, a small just single party or will this I don't know turn how far into, it's going to get you know will Rose and her coffee clutch ladies hear about it right. I don't know anything could happen anything so thank you guys so much for listening this has been a great series so far we only have seven and eight left so and we already know we're greenlit for season two so I'm super jazzed about that well that happens when you win every award right, right? they totally did <laughs> amazing way to go Amy Sherman hit us up anytime it's D-A-L-E-Y we love to hear your comments thanks a lot Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. 
follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.